Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name is John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired Baltimore police sergeant. In most episodes of the Law Enforcement Today radio show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about issues that affect law enforcement officers, both active and retired, their families, friends, and supporters. We'll also be discussing incidents in the news from the perspective of those in law enforcement. Visit our website, lawenforcementtoday.com, and be sure to like and follow us on Facebook. Search for Law Enforcement Today. The Law Enforcement Today show brought to you in part by Galls, G-A-L-L-S.com. Again, their website is G-A-L-L-S.com. They've been supplying first responders, police officers, law enforcement, public safety, firefighters for more than 50 years. And they got a huge selection of products that anybody can use from outerwear, boots, clothing, you name it. They got it at Gulls.com. And we here at Law Enforcement Today have lots of great contests. We've got prize giveaways from Gulls. Get more details on our Facebook page. Search for Law Enforcement Today. Click like when you get there. And also on our website as well, lawenforcementtoday.com. And when you have a chance, check out Galls at galls.com, G-A-L-L-S.com on Facebook and Instagram as well. Joining us on the phone, calling from Canton, Ohio. If you recognize that name, that's where the NFL Hall of Fame is. George Wooden, retired Maryland State Police, Maryland State Trooper, uh, on the phone. George, how are you? All right. How are you, Jay? Very, very good. And you're in Canton, Ohio, for a very good reason. Briefly, we'll go into details more about why you're there. What are you doing there? I'm out here. Um, myself and my team are out here helping the uh, the NFL with the Pro Football Hall of Fame. They're doing a fundraiser. They're building the NFL players' retirement home, and they asked us for our help. So we're out here helping them hold a live auction and silent auction, actually inside the Pro Football Hall of Fame. That's a pretty cool. pretty cool stuff. And what we're talking about it, what is it you you're doing now? That you retire from Maryland State Police? Unbelievably, as most police officers, as you know, Jay. They go right into another law enforcement field. I, I left law enforcement completely and started a company. Now we are, in an essence, professional fundraisers. Un- unlike other companies who make robocalls, we help charities host, plan, manage, and host large-scale events that have a live auction and silent auction. They raise a ton of money. And you do this all year long for, for almost any charity? All year long, 365 days a year. From all over North America, for any charity, anybody raising money, we're there to help them. And for the NFL Hall of Fame, this is actually for the retirement home. Yes, to build, to raise the funds they need to build the uh, the retirement home for retired NFL players. This is way cool, and I know you've been doing this for a while. But like you said, most law enforcement people they retire from a career in law enforcement. They might flounder. They might, eh, what am I going to do? They do something else law enforcement related, maybe with a court system, uh, a security guard, or, or nothing. But you went in a totally different direction. How, how did that come to be? Well, to be honest with you, I was getting close to my retirement. I had spent uh, 10 years undercover, went back out to uniform and got promoted, and I was getting close to my retirement. I had four years in the Marine Corps, 20 years in the Maryland State Police, and uh charity's been asking for our help asking for my help and a friend of mine actually another trooper said look one of the best fundraisers i've ever seen in my life why don't you start a company doing that well 
as with anything, the Maryland State Police didn't really want you running your own company while you're employed. I was getting close to my end of my career, and um, we started working it silently. And then it just picked up from there, and then I retired and went full-time, and it's just been through the roof from that point on. And you do fundraisers so. for any type of charity, and you've done a lot for law enforcement organizations yes. over the past few years. Yes, sir. We've done, we work with about 1,500 charities a year. We've been in business for 11 years, about 1,500 charities a year. But um, over the past five years or so, we've been asked to help a lot of law enforcement charities. And and in fact, we've been asked to help a lot of police departments, uh, both state and local. We've done them all across the country. And to be honest with you, I, I, I can't pick a better profession when I can help my brothers and sisters in blue anywhere in the United States. So, yeah, we've been doing a lot of law enforcement uh, fundraisers. In fact, this Saturday we'll be in Delaware with the with the uh, the Sirens and Shields Bash, helping the Ronnie Williams Foundation, who was a, a state trooper, Delaware trooper, killed off duty, as well as the Blue Line Network and uh, a few other charities. A large scale law enforcement event at the Bob Carpenter Center at the University of Delaware. So, yep, we're always doing. We love doing law enforcement. And I'm sure that once people hear this, they're going to say, hey, you know, we've got, uh, for example, I'm, I'm heavily involved with a group called Wounded Officer Initiative out of Central Florida. There's other groups that are always saying, we need help with fundraising. I'm sure they're going to want to talk to you and your company. How do they get a hold of you? Well, uh, they can find me just about anywhere. A, they could call you and you can refer them. B, um, they can find us on Facebook, BW Space Unlimited Charity Fundraising, or they can find me, George Wooden. I'm the guy with the great haircut. I have no hair. Um, or they can go to our website at www.b as in boy, w as in William, unlimited.com, bwunlimited.com. So I got we would int- love to help them. I got introduced to you by a, a retired Baltimore police sergeant that, that uh, interviewed a while ago. And he was giving me some examples of the different fundraisers you've done for law enforcement groups. Some I know you can't talk about, so I'm not going to ask you specifics. Can you give us an idea of charitable law enforcement organizations that you do some work for, fundraising? Well, we, um, we just came off of quite a success story. The, something called the Road Dog Rumble for the Maryland State Police Alumni Association. About three years ago, they came to us and they asked us for our help, and we said yes. They're responsible for the Maryland State Police Museum, the Fallen Troopers Memorial, and the Walk of Honor, which is the bricks leading up to the, the Fallen Troopers Memorial. And they needed to raise $90,000. Well, they had only raised $6,000 in six years. So we came in, we said, yes, we would help them. And they had said that they couldn't get 50 people to come to an event. And they they hired us. The first event they did at 810 people, and they did 141,000 net, net, net profit, 141,000. And we just came off the second one, this 2018 Road Dog Rumble, and they broke records through the roof. They're still counting the money, but it, I would say it more than doubled. They had 1,009 people come to that event. We've done them for, good Lord, we've done them all around Washington, D.C. And in a special case, we were out in Texas. We were asked to come out to Texas, to Travis County, and help the SWAT team out there. They Their funding had been cut, but they needed help to raise money to uh, buy an MRAP and their equipment to 
protect the citizens of Travis County, Texas, which is right outside of Austin. And we went out there and helped them. So we, you know, we've helped the Police Canine Association, Protection for Pauls, Ronnie Williams, you name it. We've helped a lot of law enforcement charities. And this is this is from a guy who is a, a former Maryland State Trooper. You wouldn't think that you'd be quite the event planner, party planner, but you're quite good at it. Well, thank you, thank you. And how does someone we, become a, a party event planner from being a road trooper? Well, to be honest with you, I'm, we're a lot more than a party event planner. We're actually the only full-scale charity fundraising event planners in the world. How do they? How do you go from a road trooper to or an undercover narcotics detective? About 25 years ago, I was involved with um, with an outdoor charity called the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation as a uh, volunteer, and got really good at fundraising. Well, we had ended that because I had got transferred and made it harder as a trooper. And then a few years later, I was asked to help another outdoor charity called Delta Waterfowl. And we, the first event out the box, we raised more money they had, they had raised since 1930. It's just a knack, I guess. I don't know. It's just a knack on how to raise money, how to successfully raise money in a very down economy. I don't know. I, don't, I don't really don't know what it is, but it's, it's, I always say it's not my life, it's my lifestyle. I just love helping groups do it. So, And to put it more clearly, it's not just, you know, hey, solicit donations. You put on a, a, a total event from start to finish. Right. From, com- from start to finish, they, they can call us and we'll actually help them plan, manage, and host it from the beginning, do all the marketing, do all the graphic design, provide everything, come in, go to the venue, check out the venue, host it, bring a team in plan the live auction, plan the silent auction, plan raffling or whatever else. And then the other thing is we provide, we have a whole host of of a lot of auction items um, from autographed sports memorabilia. In fact, we brought out 110 pieces, 100 and some pieces out here to the Hall of Fame. Autographed sports memorabilia, celebrity memorabilia, music memorabilia, travel packages, jewelry, decor, a whole lot more. So yes, from start to finish, we're a one-stop shop. So Basically, we help, and we can also help charities understand how to, in an economy like we're in, how to get very large financial sponsors where they're walking in the door with $75,000 in cash already in their bank account. We help them understand them how to market it, how to sell it, what works and what doesn't work, how to get donations. So we're, we're that to the charity. We're basically, we come in and help them host an event that people have never seen before. In fact, most of the time people are blown away by the events that we do. And it takes them one full year to get used to it because they're so large scale. And I've seen the recent video you did for your company and it is truly mind blowing stuff. If people want more details, what do they do? Where do they go? I'm sure you're online. Yes. They could go to bwlimited.com, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, or they can somehow find me. My name is George Wooden. They just look up. They could run charity fundraising, and they'll find us online. George Wooden, we are talking with, and we're going to talk in just a moment about his career with the Maryland State Police. You're listening to Law Enforcement Today. We'll be right back. The second annual Law Enforcement Officers Weekend is June 15th through the 17th at beautiful Lake George, New York. The second annual Law Enforcement Officers Weekend is a perfect, relaxing getaway for law enforcement officers, active, retired, and their families. 
Get more information about events and activities online at leoweekend.com. Enter the code LET18 at checkout for special discounts. That's LET18 at checkout on leoweekend.com. If you're 85 or younger, would you like peace of mind and comfort for your family? We're Final Expense Direct with an urgent message for you. The average funeral today costs over $8,000, but the most you'll get from government benefits is $255. How will your family pay the difference? We can help. Our senior plans start as low as just a dollar a day and pay up to $30,000 for a funeral and other final expenses. Peace of mind is easy. There's no medical exam. You'll have lifetime coverage, and your plan can't be canceled as long as you pay your premiums. Call now for free information about our senior plans. Answer a few simple questions and receive approval right on the phone. Plus, call right now and we'll give you a discount prescription card for free. Call 800-569-2507. That's 800-569-2507. Again, 800-569-2507. Welcome back to the Law Enforcement Today studios. Joining us on the phone uh, from Canton, Ohio. Uh, Getting ready to set up an event for the NFL Hall of Fame for a fundraiser they got going on. George Wooden, uh, BW Unlimited, a charitable organization. You do all kinds of awesome things. Give us your website one more time. It's www.b as in boy, w as in William, unlimited.com. Now, you are retired Maryland State Police. You did 20 years as a Maryland State Trooper. When did you start and when did you retire? About nine, I started in about 1990. And uh, I came out, came out of the Marine Corps. I was in the Marine Corps for four years. And I graduated the academy in, in about 1990, 1991. And uh, put 20 years in. You could do the math. Yeah. Um, put 20 years in. And about 2011, I retired. I was spent half of my career. I was an interdictor. I liked doing drug interdiction. So you spent a lot of time and, on 95 uh, and 301, I'm sure. Yes. Yes. A lot of time. So I was recruited and I left. I went, at, came out of uniform, and went to a HIDA task force, to a DEA task force, where we did interdiction and the buses, trains, planes, and mm-hmm. you name it, hotel, motel. And then I left there after about four and a half years, and then went truly undercover to two other task forces in the state of Maryland, and uh, making, making hand-to-hand buys, and and then got promoted and sent back out to the road. And that, that was about the end of my career there. Well, I want to say thank you for your service in the Marine Corps. And also thank you for your service as a Maryland State Trooper. And uh, I don't say that enough to people. So I'm I'm making it a habit to make sure I tell everyone thank you. Now, you came on right about when I retired from the Baltimore Police Department. And we do know some people um, from Maryland State Police that, that I worked with loosely when I was assigned the DEA task force in the late 80s. And, mm-hmm. you know, one of the common misconceptions people get when you hear people say oh i was a drug cop i was a narcotics investigator did interdiction they tend to think oh you're popping kids with reefer and the reality is that's nothing like what i did and i'm sure it's nothing like what you did absolutely not how would you describe it what type of cases did you do um the one of the main during doing interdiction my interdiction days with the dea the hide task force Thousands and thousands of pounds of marijuana, kilos upon kilos of cocaine at a time, kilos of heroin, kilos of methamphetamine, 
you know, being in the airport, interdicting drug couriers coming in and out of the airport. Um, hundred pound uh, suitcase with a hundred pounds of a block, hundred pound block of marijuana, compressed marijuana. Money runners running, you know, half million dollars, seventy five thousand, a hundred thousand dollars, and then back out to the buses doing picking people off that were coming out of New York down to Baltimore with geez, eight kilos of heroin, um, ten kilos of coke. And uh, from there and then on the road, you know, compartments, guys with, com- you know, hidden compartments in their cars with kilos of cocaine, you know, guns, you name it, cash. And then undercover, we were making hand-to-hand buys with crack dealers, gun dealers, you know, anybody dealing anything in large quantities where we would make constant hand-to-hand buys over and over and over again. Plus, uh, I'm, I'm lucky enough to be, I did the largest oxycotton trafficking case in the state of Maryland. So yeah, so no, no, we weren't we weren't busting little kids in school that's, with her. And that's what everybody seems to think goes on when you say that. It, one of the things I try to do, and I can never quite explain sufficiently how violent these drug organizations have been and probably currently still are. Uh, is that an understatement, or how would you describe it? I honestly, I believe it's an understatement. In fact, on our way here to Canton, we were talking about a recent police officer who was killed, who just passed away, and uh, his partner is in the hospital, critically ill, critically. But while I was there, while I was undercover, I mean, I always tell people I know what gun oil tastes like, and they look at me like they oh, don't yeah. know what I'm talking about. Well, because I've had a gun in my mouth, a gun in my ear. Uh, one of my closest friends was murdered, Ed Totally. Um, he was an undercover trooper. My family was threatened. You name it. It's violent beyond violent. The, you know, you really walk on pins and needles the entire time. So it does. Um, I'm, you, I'm, ha- I'm happy to be retired. Yeah, I I get your drift 100%. I always tell people I did my time and I would not want to go back and do it again. If I was a young man doing it with the same people, I, I would. But, um, you know, I have no regrets. And no matter how hard you tried to stem the tide of violence and no matter how many people were arrested, how many guns you took on the street, it was still a never ending flow. I agree. 100%. In fact, if if I could go back, I would go back to the date and time that I came back on. I wouldn't, the, the, the guys and the girls today that are out there, like my brothers and sisters in blue who are still out there, uh, you know, I, I give them much more credit than I give myself or any anybody else who was doing my time because how the times have changed, how the respect levels have dropped, and the violence has gone through the roof against law enforcement. It has. Um, you know, the, these the police officers who are out there today are truly are real American heroes, up one side, down the other. So that's why I'm always happy to help them. What do you think is causing the change and shift in attitudes towards uh, American law enforcement officers? In my, in my own opinion? Yes, sir. Um, liberalism, the Democratic United States liberal views who, who don't believe in uh, punishing you know, uh, career criminals. I believe there's a lackadaisical attitude toward drugs. Parenting, you know, uh, you know, parenting styles have stopped. You know, kids can get away with just about anything. They grow up into, you know, into career criminals. I could tell you in my in my own area in Baltimore City, it's it's lawlessness. 
the Baltimore City Police Department. Those guys are real, real police, like they say here, real po- police. That's right. That's what we did. Um, real police. Yeah, real police. You know, it, it's just it's degrading. I always say, and I post it on Facebook. You're watching society degrade, and you know, even when one of them goes and now they're ambushing police officers. For guys are sitting eating their lunch, and they're just walking in and shooting them, and there's nothing happening to them in courts. And the more that we publicize it, and the more the media publicizes it, instead of the like, like for instance, there was a police officer who was just he was in a convenience store just buying. I think he was at the end of the shift, and he was in a convenience store where he got jumped and killed. We didn't see word one on the media about that happening, but they'll publicize when a police officer uses a cuss word. Right. You know, so that's why I believe I just it's it's, it's a whole matter of of instances that's making it worse. And it is a shame. And I, I think that all the the categories, all the reasons you came up with, are probably are spot on. And I, I, for one, can't understand. I don't do the whole partisan politics thing. Believe it or not, being from Maryland. I don't. <laughs> and you being from Maryland, you know exactly why I'm saying that with a chuckle. Uh, mm-hmm. But people have to realize that at some point, for whatever reason that the politicians do this and the news media really inflames it, there's a price to be paid. And that means that all these communities where these law enforcement agencies are, and we all have them, we all become much more unsafe because it police officers, law enforcement officers, state troopers are being more and more reluctant to do their job. And that means mom and dad and the lady down the street are much, much more vulnerable. And things do have to change. Absolutely, positively. I mean, listen, I've, I tell people all the time, police, even when I was, you know, when I was on the road, police are scared to death to pull their, draw their gun. This is before cell phone videos, yeah. you know, cell phone cameras. Police police officers are scared to death. Even then, scared to death to draw their gun. It's now, horrible. It's a horrible situation take, to be in when you have to. It is. It is absolutely. It is. And then let's take it a step further. You know. And then came the cameras and the, then the recording. Now you're scared to death of what you're going to say. And then police officers are being sued, going to jail. And now with a cell phone camera, everybody's got a cell phone video. And you could edit, you could say whatever you want to say, but you never know what that police officer... In fact, I get asked all the time, you know, what would you have done? Well, I never criticized a police officer for the decision he he or she made because I wasn't there. Right. I didn't know the stressors. I wasn't, you know... Police officers today are walking on pins and needles. They're scared to death. And it's just amazing that police departments are maintaining and retaining police officers on a daily basis. I don't understand it, but these guys praise their name because they truly, like I said before, are, are real American heroes. So, George Wooden, retired Maryland State Trooper, thanks so much for your time, and thanks for all the great work you did as a Maryland State Trooper, United States Marine, and what you're doing now at BW Unlimited Charity Fundraising. Thanks so much. We appreciate it, man. You're welcome. Thank you again. We've got another great guest heading your way on Law Enforcement Today. We'll be back in just a few moments. Public safety professionals are regular people that heroically rush forward. 
Despite the fire or the storm, despite the worst of society and the undeserved contempt, they rush in to save, to protect, to hold our nation together. For more than 50 years, Gauls has stood with our troops stationed abroad and with our nation's first responders who serve us here at home every day. Gauls, proud to serve America's public safety professionals. Visit Gauls.com today. If you are current or previous law enforcement, firefighter, or military and are considering buying or selling real estate, contact Honor the Brave. Honor the Brave is a nationwide real estate program that allows these families to keep more of their hard-earned money. 10% of the agent's commission goes back to you. Additionally, they donate 5% of the commission to the nonprofit of your choice. Current or previous law enforcement, firefighter, or military, considering buying or selling real estate contact honor the brave online at honorthebrave.com do you owe back taxes to the irs news flash the president has changed the tax laws and now you may be able to pay the irs less if you owe ten thousand dollars or more in back taxes the tax doctor can help you pay the irs as little as possible allowed by law there are new tax laws for business owners the self-employed even w-2 workers if you have a back tax problem or a few years of unfilled returns new help to save you money is now here call right now to see how the new tax Tax laws can help you. Plus, right now, we'll waive the consultation fee and give you a free tax savings report. Attention business owners, the self-employed, and W-2 workers. Make this free call to the tax doctor now and learn how to take advantage of the new tax laws that may help you pay the IRS less. 800-663-5107. 800-663-5107. That's 800-663-5107. Welcome back to the Law Enforcement Today Show. I'm John J. Wiley. Got a special treat, a very rare appearance of my partner, CEO of Law Enforcement Today, Robert Greenberg, in the studio for this portion of the show. Joining us on the phone, Michael Stephen. He's a police officer. We can't say what agency. And people here have the impression that, like, courtesy of the NFL, that you have a right to free speech at work no matter where you work. That's not the case with law enforcement officers, not the case with firefighters, not the case with most people that work in the public realm at all. So we have to be very careful not to say your full name and what agency you work for. Agreed? Correct. Okay. Agreed. Glad, glad we got that out of the way. And we want to thank you for coming on because it's it's those scenarios that uh, Jay just pointed about that we don't get many active people to come on the show because of the fear of well being identified and getting in trouble. You know, it, it, it's not always. When I was a young patrolman, I was taught it's it's not what you did, it's what you said, how you did it that'll get you in so much trouble. And so many agencies. So many command staff members, they have their public information officer who's going to speak for them. And as a patrolman, a police officer, a sergeant, don't you dare say anything to the media or anybody else. You refer to them. And if you do say something, even if you weren't wrong, they're going to find a way to get in with you. Uh, they'll give you the worst details ever been. They'll make up with bad details on midnight shift to give you. You know, uh, so I get that. Not all agencies are like that, but we... Well, name one, Robert, that's not. Well... I, I don't want to. The one you work for is not. We don't want to name names, but I, I wouldn't say that all are like that. But we just don't want to put people that are 
gracious enough to come on and share their knowledge and expertise in a compromising position. And exa- I'm glad you said that because we, we've had people say, if you want to call in and you're an active law enforcement officer, we will do everything we can to protect your identity. Uh, we won't talk in, in phrases that's going to get you a jackpot. And we're not going to come up with things, but we will find a way that you can talk about your experience from your perspective so people can get a better understanding. So having said that, Michael, uh, what was a motivating factor for you wanting to get in a career in law enforcement? Well, I was in the military and I got out and went back into civilian life and I was working in finance. Um, and at some point I just realized it wasn't for me. You know, there's a lot of opportunity, of course, in the private sector, but, um, you know, in the military, you have that real sense of purpose. You have a sense of driving force and, you know, you're part of a team. And oftentimes in a lot of civilian jobs, you, you don't have that. Um, I miss that tremendously. I like being part of a team and working towards a bigger goal. And um, I had a buddy that was in law enforcement and did a ride out with him, and I was sold. Well, before we move forward, Michael, thank you so much, not only for myself, Jay included, for your service in the military and now in law enforcement. Appreciate it. So you went from the military to uh, a good size police agency. Did you find that to be an easy transition? I did. Whenever I joined, there were a lot of veterans from uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom and Enduring Freedom uh, who were completing their tours of service and their terms and contracts. And when they got out, I know a lot of them felt the same way I did. And a lot of them had moved over to law enforcement. Um, so when I went in, I think the majority of the people in my cadet class were prior military. And a lot of the classes ahead of me and behind me are also pretty heavily uh, occupied by members of former members of the military. So for me, it was a pretty simple transition. And that's one of the things when I retired, because I retired suddenly uh, due to injury, that I missed tremendously was that that brotherhood, the camaraderie. Brother, I say brotherhood. That was for the males and females. We were a big family, and we did everything together. Everything. Absolutely. So it's uh, I, I get that part without explanation. How long have you been into your active police career now? About eight years. And to this point, what are some of the things that you could say are like the military and the complete opposite of military life? Uh, I guess to start with some of the things that are completely opposite is, uh, you know, in the military you have a lot of, you have a lot of freedom to kind of do the mission how you see fit. Um, there's not, like once you're in the field, there's not, that much oversight compared to law enforcement you know and the things that are i guess different would be on the police side of things it's infinitely more oversight i mean you know, in the military you don't care around the body cam you're not writing a report every time you you know step out of your car it's uh just the oversight and the scrutiny is just night and day difference you know when i went to boot camp they give you like a little a book i guess that they call it your knowledge book kind of a slang term for it but you read it in the course of maybe a day or a week, and that's about it. Uh, when you come to the law enforcement side of things here in the United States, you spend almost a full year, you know, getting immersed in um, the Constitution, your state laws, your local ordinances, case law, and everything else. So while the camaraderie and the sense of family is the same, I'd say the law enforcement side really goes a step further in um, teaching you quite a bit more. Now, what was your decision uh, to get into the military life? Were you just, w- w- did you have family prior military? Or is it something that you grew up, you always wanted to do? 
it was something I always wanted to do since I grew up. I'd say the movie The Rock with uh, Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage. <laughs> really, <laughs> yeah, I know. I saw that and I was like, I have to do that. I had a. I was fortunate enough to grow up with a neighbor who was a uh, pilot in World War II, and he just. I heard stories about you know his service going through life, and I was like, I. That's what I want to do. And w- uh, did it live up to uh, the expectations that you placed on military life? Yes and no. Yes, and the fact that you know it was fun getting out in the field when I could. But you know, when you join the military, it's they put you where they need you. Um, the job I got wasn't what I wanted. You know, if I could do it again, I'd do it over with a different job. But um, you know, I guess everyone's got a role. So when you sign up, you sign up to serve your country, and they'll show you where they want to put you to serve your country. And that's a similarity of police work. When you graduate from the academies where I did in Baltimore, they put you where they need you, you know, and it's uh, right. people think, well, there must be something about you that you chose this neighborhood. No, I had no choice in the matter at all. This this is where you're graduating. This, this is when you're graduating. This is where you signed, and this is the day you show up, you know. And then you get there and say, oh, by the way, this is a squad you're in. That's your sergeant. That's your lieutenant. There's no yeah. choice, and then you get used to that. Uh, working in a certain area, and it's hard. It was hard for me to transition to a different type of community. Yeah, like I, I started my career in a rough area. It was busy, and there's a lot of just sad things that happened. But when I would go somewhere else to work, say overtime in a, in a more peaceful part of town, I'd feel like uh, I'm just I wasn't living up, I guess, to my potential, or wasn't really challenged enough. So I started to really enjoy the the tough parts of town and feel like I'm making the most amount of difference, you know, for my time in the parts of town that need us the most. I'm glad you said that because that was what it was like for me. It was a very, very rough, very, very busy area. And then I went to other areas on on details and I'd be bored to tears. Like, what do you do? Why well, I, I don't yeah. I, you got eight hours of this? I mean, my goodness. People were like waving to you. They're nice. No yeah. one's shooting at you. I'm like, this is not right. It's not policing. <laughs> Robert's laughing because that's all he knows is people waving at him. They're not shooting at him, which is nice. And, yeah, I really felt like I was doing the best whenever I was in the rough parts of town. And after I spent a good period of time there, you know, I could get people to wave back at me. And yeah. I could just walk into any apartment complex, no matter how bad it was, and talk to anybody there and have a good conversation. So that's, you know, being able to get to that point, is you really feel like you're connecting and making a difference. How long do you think it took to get from being a rookie uh, to where you were comfortable and people got to know you in your assigned area? Oh, man. Um, that would probably be about four years, maybe. Two to four years. I think two years before I could really just stop calling my sergeant every five minutes, ask a question, and you know, after four or five years, you really start to you know feel like you're in the groove. But then you go to like a new assignment in a different part of town with different responsibilities, and it's just like starting over you know, from scratch. I went to a different part of town with very different responsibilities and stuff, and it took me about another two, you know, two or three years on top of that to really feel like I mastered that particular job. What uh, would you say, even though you're eight years in, has been the most rewarding or high point of your career? Breaking certain cases. Um, there's one particular where. Um, without giving details, because I don't know if the case has gone to court or anything, but yeah. the case that really made the most difference for me and what kind of, you know, if I left the job tomorrow, this one case made it all worth it. And um, we've been called by a sister who was like in her upper teens saying that her younger sister didn't want to go home to uh, the father. Um, sister tried to drop 
the girl off and the girl didn't want to get out of the car. So I get there and I talk to her and she opened up to me about um, her dad's abuse towards her. And she was, a, I was the first person that she had ever told. And, you know, she wouldn't, she hadn't told her sister, hadn't told her mother, hadn't told friends, nobody. But she opened up to, you know, a cop that she didn't know. And because of that, uh, we were able to, to stop and prevent further abuse of this child. And that particular case really showed me the importance of what we do, you know, because it's hard to break a, a cycle of violence from the inside. You know, it's hard for a young child to get an adult to stop abuse. Sometimes it's hard to open up to family because of embarrassment. But a you know an outside person like a law enforcement officer has a really good opportunity to step in there and say, hey, here's an opportunity to change this and prevent this from going on. Yeah, most people so, that uh, have not been working in law enforcement would never understand that story, but that's awesome, and, and those type of incidents never get old. Was there anything specific you did to break the ice, do you recall, or you were just at the right place at the right time? Uh, less about the right place and the right time, more about just being human, you know, because when you walk up, people see the, you know, they see the uniform, they see the you know, the pressed pants and there's a, there's an immediate wall that kind of comes up. So the first Hurley guy go over is really just to connect, you know, to be there as a person and show them that you care. And once you do that, it's much easier to actually help them. And those types of cases, although they happen with all of us, they don't seem to be as frequent as we would like. I, I mean, I'll put it this way. I would love to have said I made a difference on every family dispute I went to, every domestic violence call that I went to. And yet, frustratingly so, that was not the case. It was quite often the case where every Friday night, someone's drinking in the family and they start beating on each other. And you were there every Friday night, two, three times right. at night. And there, you were powerless to make any changes. You couldn't do anything. You tried. But you couldn't, what's the old saying? You lead a horse of water, you can't make a drink. Yeah, and that can be discouraging. You know, you, you go to about 10 of those in a row, and then suddenly you go to one with a, a small child, and you've really got to, you know, remind yourself, hey, this is a new scene, this is different. You know, don't let the, uh, the frustrations from previous ones affect what's going on here. There's a lot of times where you might see that happen, like things that make the news, where an officer does something, people are like, well, why did he do that? Yeah. But they'll never say, well, the first, the prior two calls that person went to were, you know, horrendous suicides. And then the officer, instead of going home and taking a mental break, you know, he gets sent to the next call and on the next call makes a bad error in judgment. And it's so easy to slip up and say something that you should never say. And, uh, you know, and people are watching constantly. Uh, You know, before my day, we didn't have the cameras that you do now, but you're being recorded Every second of every day and everything you do, if you have lunch, someone's got a camera on you. If they found a way, they'd probably follow you into the bathroom with a camera to get see what the, see what the cops doing in there. So you've really got to watch it and, and find a way to compartmentalize and, and decompress quickly from one call to another. Let's pause and take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. Remember, support those who support law enforcement today. We'll be back in just a few moments. Public safety professionals are regular people that heroically rush forward. Despite the fire or the storm, despite the worst of society and the undeserved contempt, 
they rush in to save, to protect, to hold our nation together. For more than 50 years, Gauls has stood with our troops stationed abroad and with our nation's first responders who serve us here at home every day. Gauls, proud to serve America's public safety professionals. Visit Gauls.com today. The second annual Law Enforcement Officers Weekend is June 15th through 17th at beautiful Lake George, New York. The second annual Law Enforcement Officers Weekend is a perfect relaxing getaway for law enforcement officers, active, retired, and their families. Get more information about events and activities online at leoweekend.com. Enter the code LET18 at checkout for special discounts. That's LET18 at checkout on leoweekend.com. We are back. This is Law Enforcement Today. What would be the, one of the low points or one of the, the bad scenarios you've had to deal with? I guess just uh, any of the scenes involving a death or serious injury. I think one of the saddest scenes I went to was a collision where I think the girl survived. I never followed up or heard about whatever happened on the back end, but you know, we had, she was in a terrible car crash, and EMS eventually and the fire department eventually got her out, took her to the hospital. But inside the car was a lot of personal artifacts, things that just, you know, had a, a obvious value. And I didn't want them going to the, the tow yard with this mangled car. So picking out all her, you know, personal artifacts, taking the hospital, it was kind of hard because each thing you look at, you're like, dang, that's a, you know, it's a piece of somebody's life. And it's horrible, especially if it's like a phone, you know, and the phone is getting texts and calls like, hey, where are you? Oh, that, that, you know, that's hard to look at. It is, no. and I, I get not wanting to follow up sometimes because quite often the news is not good. Not only that, we're off and going to our next call. If you're at a busy agency, call to call, and even though we might oh, yeah. like to, we, we, we don't have the opportunity to. I'll give you an example. I, I was a recently promoted sergeant in Baltimore, and it was my day off, and when we're off, we had a guy who was acting sergeant. And uh, the next day I came in, and I'm not going to name the, the victim's name. It will upset a lot of people that work there. Uh, it was a young girl, maybe 10 years old. She had been tied to a fence and gutted like a deer. And although we knew who did it, we never could get enough probable cause or evidence to make an arrest. And, and people, officers I worked with, came in on their days off and worked this case for hours, not just homicide guys, we're not about patrolmen. They worked it for hours on their days off to try to find a way to get some justice and closure for this and their family and never could. And to this day, they're still upset about it. And I'm upset about it because it happened in my sector with my guys. You know, even though I wasn't there, I, I feel like that we should have found a way to make it happen. You just can't all the time. You can't get the evidence all the time. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it sucks when something happens in your district and there's, you know, you're a minute too late or, you know, it's the eighth time they called and like, ah, oh, these people, can you get there? And it's like, you know, this time it actually went bad. You know, those things kind of stick with you because you wish there was something you could have done prior, but, you know, 99% of the time there's nothing you could have done. You know, people assume that cops have all this power to make changes in the world and a lot of times we don't. We do what we can, but at the end of the day, you know, we can't be everywhere at once, and it sucks whenever we're not somewhere where we, you know, wish we could have been. Mike, are you still currently assigned to Road Patrol? Yes. 
Where do you see yourself five years from now if it was a perfect world within the agency that you're at now? Uh, I'd like to still be on patrol. You know, all, all the action starts on patrol, and it's it's fun to, you know, get a get to be kind of on the front seat of, you know, the the show. You know, get to be where you can make a difference. Um, you know, if I could be a shift supervisor, that'd be great. I'd love to lead and mentor some of the newer guys and make sure that they have the training opportunities that I had when I when I started. I started oh, yeah. on a pretty pretty good shift that. You know, I had good supervisors that steered me in the right direction. I think that makes a big difference in the the tone and pace and you know habits that people carry with them through their career. Are you on that career path right now? I believe so. Um, I enjoy the job. I'm uh, working on hopefully promoting someday. Um, I do what I can to learn uh, leadership skills as much as I can and help other officers below me. You know, guys who are newer that are having questions or you know difficulties with the job so hope to be able to keep that up what's the best thing that your agency has done for you other than hiring you and offer offer this phenomenal opportunity to be a police officer in the united states is there something that uh, uh you could directly relate to the leadership at your organization that you you feel thankful for our department does a good job of uh backing our officers um you'll see examples here and there. I know some of the major like law enforcement publications and sites, every now and then they'll point out how an officer did something in a justified manner, but the department backed him or fired him or you know, just wasn't there for them when they need him. Um, our department does a really good job of um, supporting its officers. Uh, whenever an officer gets in a critical incident or has family issues at home or just needs time off, um, our department's really good about staying on top of that and keeping its people uh, you know, supported and happy and um, enjoying their careers. If you had the opportunity to tell everyone in America one thing you would like them to know about policing, what it's like to be a police officer, what would that be? I'd say um, just know that the vast majority of cops are out there for the right reasons, uh, making decisions for the right reasons. And although they don't always come out the right way, just know that there's no underlying conspiracy or lack of care or concern. It's you know, everyone puts on uniform, intending to go out there and do the best job they can, and that's what they do. Uh, most of the time, it turns out very well. Sometimes it doesn't. At the end of the day, we're there for the right reasons. Very well said. I've never heard about these conspiracy meetings. I don't know where they meet. I don't know anybody involved in them. And yet, I know so many people that love to talk about conspiracy theories, especially with policing. And I'm like, in this day and age, it, it, you would have a hard time finding three people they'd agree to do something right away where one would say not only no but hell no and i'm telling yeah and you know you see that even with something like vegas um you know you read the comment section of some of these like you see an article about the vegas shooting and you read the comments and you got people talking about how much of a conspiracy it is and well, why aren't they the cops saying anything it's like well it's, a, it's an ongoing investigation you can't you can't say a lot of details you know you need to hold back details so when you're interviewing or interrogating someone you have a way to verify that some of the things that they're saying um, yeah. you know there's no overarching conspiracy sometimes people are just evil and they commit you know horrible atrocities but to try to say oh there's shadow puppets behind that or stuff like that is it's nonsense and it's a bit discouraging you know for the people out there that are working tirelessly to investigate these cases 
You're absolutely 100% correct. I want to thank you so much. Michael Steven, of course, that's not your real name. Which, uh, we're protecting your enemies. Active duty law enforcement officer at a good agency. We know which agency it is. We're not going to say which one it is. And uh, we want to thank you so very much for spending part of the day with us here at, at Law Enforcement Today. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. One of the questions we get all the time and we try to address it so often is how do people contact us? It's so easy these days with social media and emails. They can contact you at jay at lawenforcementtoday.com. Myself, Robert, at lawenforcementtoday.com on our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today. Get that word, Law Enforcement Today, in your head. Uh, or you can just go to the Law Enforcement Today website. Down at the bottom of the page is a Contact Us page. Hit us up with a message, and we will be sure to get back to you. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today show. We've got another great guest heading your way next week. Don't miss it. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.